thinking this the other day as I was preparing for what to share with you uh, this Christmas day. Did you know that the Australian Retailers Association, ARA, predicts that some 66.8 billion Australian dollars uh, would have been spent uh, in the November to December the 24th, that's yesterday, uh, of the Christmas trading period this year. These things interest me because before I was pastoring, uh, as many of you know, I was in retail and uh, I, uh, I monitored these things. Uh, that is up some 0.1% from last year, some $74,000 of trading. Now, this is with all the narratives of cost of living pressures and how uh, difficult life is. And yet 66.8 billion, some 67 billion really, of uh, income is spent on Christmas shopping. Now, that a lot of, that's a lot of gifts. But giving gifts, as you know, is challenging to say the least. That loved one, family or friend, you want to make sure that the gift that you will give them uh, is something that they will really like. As they open it in front of you, you wanted to see that joy, that expression of happiness in their faces uh, when, when they do. And, and, and when you see that, you take a sigh of relief, of satisfaction that you chose the right gift. But that's not always the case, isn't it? <laughs> when they open your, your present, perhaps something went wrong during transit and it's broke into pieces. And you say, oh. you know, uh, it wasn't the right size. Um, it wasn't the right color. It wasn't what they expected. And uh, you gave them a pair of shoes, and they so wanted a toy. And uh, you could see in their face the disappointment, you know, shoes, you know. Boring, you know, I like toy. The one that sounds and lights up and make a noise. And of course, they will be polite, and they just couldn't hide the disappointment, though. It wasn't what they um, wanted, and you feel terrible. And I'm sure they do too, but of course, we in our piety will, will, will say, hey, we should be thankful for what we get given. Amen? But come on. Really? Kids, they don't have filters in, you know. They, uh, they will show it in their face. You, they, they wouldn't tell you, of course, and, and you wouldn't as well. Um, they will thank you and say, love it. And uh, deep inside, when you saw that, those pair of eyes that they have and the, the disappointment, well, you know, you thought it was a perfect gift, but it wasn't. And so gifts and gift-giving does not always turn out to be what you want it to be. And many times you scratch your head, what do you give someone who's got everything? 
what do you give someone that perhaps is, as you know, they're perhaps particular or picky, but you so wanted to show and manifest your love and appreciation, What's, what, what do you give someone like that? That said, have you ever thought what you would give to Jesus on his birthday? And if you're to give him a gift, what would it be? He is, after all, the creator of all things, including your life. What do you give such an one with a capital O that has absolutely everything? Everything that we see, everything that we don't see, and everything that is yet to be seen. What do you give him? He is the creator of all things, and by him all things consist. Hebrews 1, verse 2, Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. Have you ever considered what the Lord would like from you and from me this Christmas time? What can you give to him that he would appreciate? Do we know? Is it possible to know? Yeah. It is possible to know. We have his living word. It tells us uh, what uh, God is pleased about and what God is displeased about. And so open your Bibles, please, to the prophet Micah. It's a very, uh, what we call minor prophets in the Old Testament, and probably take you a bit of time, Micah. And chapter 6, and uh, again, once you've found your spot um, in honor of God's word, let's uh, stand. Matthew, uh, Michael, in the Old Testament, share your Bibles for those that do, don't have them. Micah chapter 6, we're familiar with Micah chapter 5. We studied through our series, Behold the Lamb of God, Micah chapter 4, in, uh, and this morning... We're going to consider Micah chapter 6, beginning here in verse 6. Micah chapter 6, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord, and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Father, Thank you once again for this time. Thank you for the privilege to preach your word. Thank you for the opportunity to bring glory to your name through the preaching once again of your holy word. Meet with us. I pray all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
The prophet Micah lived about 700 years before the birth of Christ. He was what we would call a country boy from the little town Mauritius, uh, just a few kilometers outside of Jerusalem. Writers tell us that he lived about the same time as prophet Isaiah and Hosea. Uh, some even think that Micah uh, and Isaiah were good friends because some parts of their writing, some parts of their book are actually saying the same things, are very, very similar. Micah can be characterized as blunt, direct to the point. He is what you would call today a no-nonsense guy, uh, a straight talker, if you like. Uh, how he wrote, one can see that he loved the common men uh, and hated corrupt politicians, and we can resonate with that today, amen? In fact, his book is basically a condemnation of religious and political leaders who use their position to take advantage of other people. Micah was a prophet of social reform. And oh, we need many Micahs in these our time. God gave Micah a message for his generation. He wrote the message down so that the people of God will not forget. The society, beloved, and the world that we lived in, uh, in this our time, on many accounts, on many levels, is very similar to how he was living it at that time. How so? Well, there was conflict in Israel in Micah's time. The nation was at war with the nations of Assyria, uh, Egypt, Egypt, and Philistines. At the time, the Assyrians were exacting tributes, taxes, or payment, whatever you call it. But uh, at the time, uh, Israel, in exchange of peace, that's what you hear today, right? Peace. Israel, at the time, in exchange of peace, some saw it as a national slavery. Uh, there was also corruption, religious corruption in particular. As I said, Micah hated the corruption of his day, be it from the religious establishment and or the politicians of his day. Uh, uh, <clears throat> the religious leaders were taking bribes. And essentially, they told the people of his day what they wanted to hear. The supposed faithful men those that are supposed to be the gatekeepers of the faith were corrupt. They were on the take from God's people and taking advantage of their positions and indeed their influence. Sadly, that is also true in our, some of our faith groups today. How many pastors like me how many priests, how many religious leaders have fallen from grace and have been involved in corruption and scandals in this our day? I'm ashamed to, to say that to you this morning. The last survey about what are the most trusted occupation in Australia in this our time, I am saddened and grieved 
that whilst we know used car salesmen, not all of them are like these, cannot be trusted. Did you know that they are number 15 in the interpretation of Australians as the most trusted occupation? They are at the bottom of the list. And you would think ministers of the gospel like me, people that are supposed to be gatekeepers of the faith, will end up at the high position. You know what number we are? Number 13. Two spots below, above the used car sales. So in many ways, the ministers of the gospel in this our day and age, people don't trust us anymore. People are skeptical of who we are. Number 13, just two spots from a used car salesman. That's how the world view ministers of the gospel. And so, sadly, in today's world, many of God's people, and they're supposed to be uh, God's representatives, are no longer honored and revered to as they used to. And so, church, I know you love me, and I know you pray for me daily, as many of you say. Could I request of you continue? I covet your prayers, that I remain steadfast, faithful, that the temptations of our day, that I would be preserved as your pastor. Pastor, do you get tempted? Oh, yes. Is it lasciviousness? Sometimes. You know what the greatest temptation of ministers today? Fear. Fear of men. Fear of what they will do to you. Fear of the intoxication of worldly pleasures. That's why men fall from grace. And so Calvary Baptist Church, pray for me. I know you do. Let your pastor be preserved from evil men. From men that will do harm. From men that do not desire for the ministry to go on successfully. Please. And so there was conflict. There was corruption. And thirdly, there was chaos. Moral chaos, that is. Every man was only thinking of themselves. The rich were ripping off the poor. The leaders, the political and religious, were taking bribes. And everyone is cheating everyone else. Uh, everyone to his own. No one trusted another, including their very own families. In fact, that is so true today. Men bag their own families and men bag their own wives. Instead of them humbly, humbly coming to their families and say, look, I'm so sorry, I've done you wrong, please forgive me. There was conflict, there was moral chaos. What a mess, chaos everywhere. You don't have to look far 
Did you know that the divorce rate of Christians today is the same as the unbelieving? 30%. You would think as God's people, we would be more true to our vows that we made before God and before all his witnesses, but no. We're the same. And we call ourselves Christians. That's a sad indictment of our professions. Michael was looking around him, and we look around us today, there seemed to be no difference. Our news headlines today were pretty much the same in his day, if not worse. And so Michael wrote or prophesied to a world that is in conflict with widespread corruption and in moral chaos. He wrote condemning the sin and hypocrisy even among God's people. And Micah, being the straight talker that he was, he did not pull any punches, beloved. He called it as he saw it. He warned the people of his day the judgment to come. Now in the midst of this, we find here in our text what God wanted from them. And by application, this is my message for us this Christmas time. What I believe the Lord wanted from us as, Christmas, as Christians in the days coming and indeed for the rest of our lives. Does God want sacrifice? Your silver and gold? Your offering perhaps? Does he really? Let's see. Notice verse 6. Of what we just read. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year? Understand, beloved, that this is a quality offering. A calf of a year old. Nothing is wrong with the offering here. It was according to the law. And it was from what we can read, a genuine offering. A one-year-old calf was considered the prime age of sacrifice. Perhaps God and will bleed please if we give him the very best of what we have materially. Yes, of course. But is that what he really wanted from us? Or just that? As good as that is, I'd have to say no. And you will understand as we go through the message. So if it's not just the quality of the sacrifice, is it quantity then? Is one calf not enough? Does he want more from us? Perhaps he is asking us to give more money than we are giving. Is that it? Verse 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, not one, thousands of rams, or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Remember, this is an agricultural economy. Oil is precious commodity, as it is today. So is that what he wants from us? I'm sure the ministry, as Brother John would say, it needs money, lots of it. We support... However, many missionaries now, uh, Adam, uh, remind me if I'm forgetting, 
but uh, we uh, commit about $100,000 of missions money every year. Uh, th this place uh, needs to, to be maintained. I am your greatest expense. I live uh, physically because of your free will give, giving and offering. So yeah, ministry costs money, lots of it. But is that what God wants from his people? Is that what really pleases God? Does he really need our money? Isn't that he is the provider of wealth anyway? And uh, everything, and he owns everything, including us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, uh, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. We covered that yesterday. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto the, thy fathers, as it is this day. Uh, chapter 26, verse 10. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which thou, O Lord, hast given me. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. Friends, you are rich today because of God. Uh, you really are not the self-made man that you thought you are. God has given you the opportunities, the power, the abilities to get wealth. You really are not, you think, the clever person that you are. Even that cleverness is given to you by God. So if you're rich today, thank God that he has given you the resources to be rich and be a good steward of that riches. And many of you have done that. Many of you have given because not just out of your riches, but because of your love, your care and concern for people. And so does God want more sacrifices? Hmm. I don't really think so. He owns a cattle and a thousand hills, the Bible says. And so if it is not just quality, it is not just quantity, what is it that he wanted from us? Uh, shall we give him our very own flesh and blood of our sons and daughters? Is that what it is? Still in verse 7, uh, Oh, with ten thousands of rivers of oil shall I give my firstborn, uh, uh, my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Is that God what wanted you, for you, your children, your own bodies to be sacrificed? Now, Pastor, why would the prophet Micah even think or suggest this? To give of their own flesh and blood their daughters, their sons? Why would he even think that or suggest that? Well, because back in the day, people sacrificed their own children. Do you believe that? To Baal, to Moe, 
okay? Uh, these are false gods. And so uh, would God then decide that his own people sacrifice their own children for him to burn themselves to be pleasing to the Lord? Totally out of character of God Almighty. I don't believe so. Are you getting the picture here? What we have here is a deal or no deal religion. A quid pro quo religion. You scratch my back, Lord, I'll scratch yours. A price is right kind of a religion. Remember, they were living in the days of bribery. Uh, and in the days uh, of uh, negotiation uh, and trading. These people were actually trading with God. Uh, perhaps that God could be bought just like any other religious practitioner of their day. That was the mindset. Now we look at these and we shake our heads in disbelief and truth be told, we are and can be like these people. We bargain with God. God, if you will do this, I will be more faithful. Uh, God, if you will solve my problem today, I will go to church every Sunday. Uh, God, if you will, you go and fill in the blank. That's what we do. We trade with God. Tell me what you want, Lord, and I will do it. Name your price. I will give it. Do you want me to be a missionary? Okay, I'll go. Do you want me to be a pastor? you want me to be an evangelist, a deacon? Okay, I'm your man. Do you want me to pray and read my Bible every day? Yep, sign me up. Hang on, Pastor. Isn't that what you've been preaching all along? So are you telling me now, Pastor, that God does not appreciate this? Of course he does. But that's not what I'm trying to say here. I'm not saying that on this Christmas message that these are not important. That's not what I'm saying at all. All of those are commendable, and I wish many of us, if not all of us, would do and deliver on those things. I pray that for you, for me, for every one of us as Calvary Baptist Church. But again, nothing is wrong with the sacrifice here. Nothing is wrong with the gift. It is the right quality. It is also the right quantity. So what is the issue? My dear ones, look at verse 8. He had showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Beloved, more than your sacrifice, he wants yourself. He wants you. All of you. First Samuel fifteen twenty two and Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken the fact of lies. You see, you and I can be a missionary. You and I can be a pastor. You and I can be an evangelist. You and I can be a deacon. You and I can be a religious leader in the church, a, a great Sunday school teacher, uh, uh, everything that we do. We can all do that and yet have a hard heart. 
A heart that is not surrendered to the Lord. A heart that is really not committed to the people of God. A heart that is more for self and show rather than the Savior. Truth be told, you can do all sorts of ministry work, but if your heart is not in it, you're only doing it out of compulsion rather than compassion or commitment to the Lord. I am afraid God is and will not be pleased with that. I say it again. Our good works apart from the grace of God are just filthy rags in the eyes of the righteous God. And so what does God want for you and me? To do justly. To love mercy and to walk humbly. Justice. The Hebrew word used here is mishpat and has the idea of applying God's justice. Not just merely applying the law. Justice. That means us being fair, just, and righteous in our dealings. It's treating people right as God would treat them. You see, beloved, we live in a world of injustice, abounding where, uh, where what was once right is now being made wrong. What used to be good virtues are no longer as such. They're actually now being canceled. Hmm? Even Merry Christmas is no longer acceptable. It's now marry everything. Or marry X mass. Leave Christ out of Christmas God. What we know and uh, used to know as wrong are now made right. You see, the tragedy here is we become inadvertently, we become complicit to the injustices of the world. Come on, Pastor, getting my nerves now. Well, you see, we stay silent. Somebody is being bullied at work. We turn our eyes from us. Not my problem, we say. Of course, we do not want to put our noses where it doesn't belong, but would we exercise justice? at least on our sphere of influence. As we uh, end this year and with the prospect of a new year, would we be just and exercise justice as God would have us to? What amazes me here is that while we were encouraged to be just, that means to meet out what people deserve. The next virtue that we have here in verse 8 is to love mercy. Justice, mercy. Now, if justice is to give what people deserve, mercy, on the other hand, is to withhold what they deserve. Hmm? Let me explain. You and I, prior to our salvation, deserve judgment. The righteous judgment of God. There is penalty from our sinfulness 
positionally in Adam and practically for what you and I do as sinful. Every man and woman and child that is born on this God's earth positionally has the Adamic nature in them. So they were born sinners. There's nothing that they can do about that because it's just this. Because of the fall in the Genesis record, every man, woman, and child are sinners. Hard pill to swallow, I know, but it is what it is. But you see, God's mercy didn't stop there. He provided for a way to be reconciled back to God in Christmas time, the birth of his son. And so we, uh, uh, positionally, we are indeed sinful. And the penalty for our sinfulness is death, which I've covered yesterday. But you see, there is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 9. God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, past tense. Romans 5, 8, for when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, past tense again, us together with Christ. For by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places. We do not deserve to sit in heavenly places, but he, he made us to sit together. Uh, that in the ages to come might show the exceeding riches of his grace, that's all there is, in his Kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Can you see the grace and mercy? We are destined to be punished in judgment in hell, but because of his mercy, he withholds his judgment. Therefore, loving mercy for us means loving kindness. It means being patient in love. Loving those that are unlovable at times. Loving the unlovely when they doesn't love you back, when they don't love you back. Those that hate us, those that malign us, those that talk behind our backs, those that discredit us, those that gossip and spread untrue things about us, those that badmouth us. Yes, them ones need to be merciful too. They deserve our justice for what they do to us. They need to be punished for their misdeeds about us. But if we are to please God in the year coming, we need to have a merciful heart. Folks, I am in no illusion that this is easy. This is my battle every day, every time I look at a person and the injustice and the wrongs that he does. I have to faithfully ask my Lord, give me a merciful heart. What does God want from us? To do justice, to love mercy, and thirdly, to walk humbly with him. There are so many definitions of humility in different contexts but essentially, humility, humility is having the right view of ourselves, 
as we have the right view of God. It concerns me sometimes when people think of humility as thinking of themselves as nothing, as doormats, as useless. Beloved, that is not humility. That is self-pity. Let me say that again. If you think of yourself as nothing, if you devalue yourself like a doormat, if you think of yourself is of no good, well, my Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are his works. So by you saying that I am of no value, you're devaluing God's value to you. It doesn't matter what other people say about you. What matters is how God values you and he died for you. Never buy into this uh, so-called humility. That is self-pity. Humility is having the right view of yourself and having the right view of God. The problem is if we view God as little and view of ourselves as huge, then our heart is full of pride. Humility is saying God made me. He owns me and everything I am and have is because of him and belongs to him and a gift from him, including my very life and my next breath. Some may be rich, and I may be poor, but it does not matter to me, for I am to be content and thankful for what I have been given by him, and I will do my best and utmost to be a good steward of whatever little I have. For whom much is given, much is required. You see, beloved, if and when we get to that point in our lives, if we can get our heart to beat like that each and every waking moment of our lives, we will become who and what God wants us to be in him, and we will really not worry about what others think about us. And so as we finish here today, what does God want from you this Christmas time? And on the authority of God's word, I say justice, mercy, and humility. You know, religion divides, but relationship in Jesus unites. And God is pleased. And if we will have to be having a religion, it's not about a denomination, you see. It has to be a religion of the heart. A religion of the heart. A surrendered heart. A submitted heart today. Will you not just give your sacrifices to him? I give yourself as a gift back to the Savior. And if you're here, perhaps... You say, I, I don't understand, Pastor Manning. I've never heard stuff like this before. Uh, I, I really don't know what it means to be saved. I really don't understand this giving back to the Lord. Uh, I, I don't quite understand 
about Christ being the Savior of the world? Well, this Christmas time, would you come and approach us on the authority of God's word? I'll be happy to tell you, not my opinion. I'll tell you what the book says about how it is to know the Savior Christ, the Lord who came to this world to die for you and for me. If that's an issue for you, if that's a question, if there's some doubts as to where you will spend eternity, I'd love to be able to tell you how is that possible through the word of God, the Bible.